Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. An experience I think we've all had is that we've all had career transitions. Maybe a company got bought that you were working for. Maybe a company was downsized. Maybe you just decided to launch that idea or go into a completely different industry. But the reality is, is we all have faced different career transitions. And if you haven't, they're probably headed your way. And the reason I wanted to talk about that is because today's guest on the Launch University podcast had one of those career transition moments. And what she did in that moment was so smart, so wise, took a lot of courage. And I think when you hear it, it's going to be a gift to you and to all of us to follow her lead when you experience not just career transitions, but you can do this even if you're not going through a transition. And I'm excited to hear uh, that you're gonna get to hear that today from Karen Hooten. Karen is the president of Atlanta Tech Village here in Atlanta. If you uh, work around the Buckhead area, you probably know where uh, Atlanta Tech Village is. It's a fantastic place for startups and entrepreneurs. And David Farmer and Kevin Jennings and I had an opportunity to visit with Karen at Atlanta Tech Village and just walked away incredibly impressed. Karen found herself not too long ago working for a company, but a few weeks in, even though it was a fantastic opportunity, she quickly discovered that the company was sold. And she found herself in a meeting with the CEO of the company that had just sold it to another company. And so in that moment, she decided to do something, and you're going to get to hear that story. And I hope this story sticks, because what she did is something I think all of us need to do a better job of, especially me. Now, before we let you listen to Karen's interview and to hear more about that story, I want to just remind you to subscribe to the Launch University podcast. And don't forget to check out myelevatorpitch.net, myelevatorpitch.net. That is our communication resource for all of us entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and launchers so that you can combine your great idea with great communication. Because as you've probably heard us say, a great idea does not sell itself. But a great idea plus great communication equals momentum. So check out the communication resource that we're providing for launchers at myelevatorpitch.net. And then in the meantime, we certainly hope you enjoy this interview with Karen and uh, can't wait for you to hear this story. And not only just to hear the story, but I hope you'll do what she did in that moment. And I think it will make a big difference in your launching career. Hey everybody, Kevin Jennings, Jeff Henderson with you. Kev, we're at Atlanta Tech Village here in Buckhead. This is like, the energy of this place is amazing. I'm inspired just being here. The, the writing on the wall, the words, everything about it. I'm going to post pictures on Instagram, so you might want to check it out. So our guest today is Karen Houghton, and she is the Vice President of Atlanta Tech Village. Karen, thanks for being here. Yes, yeah, so glad to have you guys. Welcome. So you've been here for five years. I have, since day one. From day one, and Kevin and I were talking about uh, you know, anytime you have a new idea, people kind of push back and go, are you sure? And so when, when you guys were launching this and, you know, you're, you're one of the things that launched university, we want to take an idea, turn it into reality and sustain it. So talk about that process over the five years and making this thing just was an idea. It's really, really working. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a really crazy ride. So our founder is David Cummings. Uh, he had a large exit with Pardot, which is a marketing automation company. 
it was actually the largest bootstrapped SaaS acquisition on record, which really just means that he tried to get funding and no one would fund him. And he got turned down <laughs> and he ended up being really successful and making a lot of money. Hmm. Um, and he turned around and purchased this building with the idea of giving back to the greater Atlanta startup community. And when he first purchased this building, we closed on it in December of 2012. And it was the ugliest, gnarliest 1986 <laughs> building uh, you've ever seen. And we had a really big vision, though, of creating a place where entrepreneurs could come together and be in community with each other and just be inspired by like-minded people. And everyone thought we were crazy. And there, there was a lot of questions of why Buckhead? Uh, you know, depending on Atlanta, you got Midtown, Downtown, like why Buckhead? It's the financial district. Um, there was a lot of old money in Buckhead. Uh, you have a lot of real estate money. You have a lot of bank money. Um, so to put a startup hub in Buckhead was kind of an interesting choice. Very intentional choice, but interesting. Um, and then there was a, another big question of density. Like, did Atlanta really have that much talent? Did we have that many entrepreneurs and startups where you could actually fill a 103,000 square foot building? Um, so we had a lot of naysayers, a lot of people that were like, this is crazy, it's never gonna work. What are you guys thinking? But that didn't stop us. And we just kind of had a very clear vision and path of what we wanted to create. And you don't really know you're going to be successful until you try it. And we were like, all right, hold on, guys. We got this. And just gave it our all. Yeah, so five years later, we're the, we're the fourth largest tech hub in the United States. And you know, even in those beginning days, before we actually renovated our physical building and before we grew our community of entrepreneurs, um, we were on a waiting list. So we were literally having entrepreneurs show up bringing their laptops and saying, hey, I heard over Twitter you guys bought this building and we're doing this thing, like we wanna be here. And it started out with, you know, Ikea desk and I'd be like, great, we're really scrappy and we're renovating a building, there's gonna be construction, build your own desk and uh, let us know how we can help. Um, all the way to today where we have class A office space, we have over 300 startups. And in those five years, those startups have raised over $500 million. Um, we've graduated, you know, eight different companies, uh, and we've created over 3,500 jobs. That's phenomenal. Now, you mentioned a phrase that David, uh, David Farmer's with us as well, SaaS. For those that may not be familiar with that term, tell us what that is. Sure. Um, SaaS is software as a service. Okay. So when you're launching a company, if you're using technology, because obviously uh, we're a startup hub, so you need proprietary technology to be in the community. Uh, SaaS is really popular because once you kind of really get that product and you get your customers, it's a nice recurring revenue. So software as a service is using any technology that's going to provide a service to a company. It's, it's B2B, not B2C. That's great. Now, when we got the tour earlier, it was fascinating because when someone comes in here, as they grow, they get different office space. So tell us a little bit about that because we were... Uh, getting a tour with Emma Pitts with PulseSpark. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how that works. Sure, our goal is to, is to serve and support entrepreneurs as um, they look to grow and scale and essentially change the world. So we look to provide whatever we can to support them in that endeavor. And a lot of that looks like providing faster connections just between talent and people, the different ideas, as well as capital and resources. So office space is just a part of it, right? It's mm -hmm. not about the building, it's right. about the community of people in here. Um, but startups can be really lonely 
unfortunately, nine out of 10 startups actually fail within the first three years. And a lot of those startups are, you know, in basements or in their homes and you're lacking community and it's, it can just be a very lonely, isolating thing. So our idea was let's bring them together. You know, we've created a place where there is not uh, shame tied to failure. Hmm. Instead, it's like, hey, that was crazy. What have we learned from that? And how can we apply it to our next thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so office space is just a piece of that. And uh, it's very flexible. So there's no long-term leases. And uh, startups can grow from a one-person company all the way up to a 60-plus person company. And at that point, we graduate them out, which is our terminology for we throw them a really big party and then we kick them out. So <laughs> we're like, hey, you guys, you guys are kind of grown-ups now. You have an idea of revenue. You can sign a lease. Um, and they usually never want to leave. So we're like, all right, guys, it's time. We're going to throw you a party. Um, and so office space is a piece of that where they can grow from maybe a hot desk or a reserve desk to a four-person office all the way up to you know corner suites and, and 60-person companies. Hmm. That's really fascinating. One of the things that jumps out to me, you said the word community a few times, and, and I think we any person who's a launcher understands the loneliness part of it. I mean, even sometimes just even your spouse understanding why you're doing this can be sometimes a challenge. But I'm fascinated to understand how you all went about building it. I mean, obviously there's interest. You talked about a waiting list before we even had the doors open. But I, but I, I can feel the energy around here, the connection, the kindness, the friendliness of people. How did you all go about actually building the community component? You know, community and culture are really popular buzzwords these days. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to build community and, and we're going to hire for culture fit. And while I think the ideas are not that complex, it's actually really hard to do it authentically. Um, And so it's it's been a learning process for us. But I think from the very beginning, we had a very clear mission statement. We had very clear goals. And we had very clear core values. So we have four core values. Be nice. Dream big. Work hard, play hard. And pay it forward. Right, kind of dummy proof, it's like stupid simple, but it's one of those things that gave us a compass that, hey, as we're onboarding these startups and we're kind of curating our community, we wanna make sure that we have buy-in. And so we communicate those, we live by those authentically and paying it forward. You know, like if you make an introduction for somebody, we expect them to make an introduction for somebody else. You know, we have volunteer committees, we have a very kind community, so we say be nice. Like if you're going through our application process and and you're rude or don't handle frustration or intentional kind of friction points very well, those are all red flags for us. So for us, we've made the decision not to just sell office space, but to actually cultivate a community where if you're not a good fit, I don't care how cool your technology is, you're not going to be a part of what we're doing here. I heard a phrase from someone we saw today just walking around. They said, if you're a jerk, you don't get into Atlanta Tech Village. <laughs> I like that. I like that somebody said that. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it's true. And you know, especially when you look at the startup world, it can be very cutthroat, right? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who are even moving from Silicon Valley out to here um, to Atlanta, as they should. Uh, choose, <laughs> choose Atlanta. Uh, but it's, they're like, this is crazy. Like, you guys are talking about being nice, but this is like a very competitive world. And my response is always like, yeah, it is very competitive. It's a very hard thing. 
why can't we do that in a, in a kind collaborative community? Mm-hmm. It's already hard enough. Yeah. Um, and so it's not for everybody mm-hmm. and that's okay. And if people have a problem with it, I'm like, you know, this probably means you would not enjoy being here because we've cultivated a community of over 1100 people who are very collaborative. You know, we have a Slack, we have a forum, we do a lot of social events and it's, Hey, here's an opportunity to connect, to help, Um, even if you're in similar spaces, you know, it's a really big world out there Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of customers out there that, that someone can have similar ideas. Um, you know, we also talk about it's, it's not necessarily the idea, it's the execution of the idea. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunities to execute differently or better. Uh, and, and it's a big world. We can support that. I love to kind of, so I'm going to recap what I got out of that. Cause I think there's even in real time, you can tell me, Hey Kevin, know that you, you misunderstand me. That is even as a community, us knowing what we stand for early on and kind of protecting that attracts those who agree with it and, and those who and those who don't are kind of repelled by it. And obviously, I don't know why anybody would be repelled by the idea of being nice. <laughs> but but I but I mean, but I'm hearing that early on saying, hey, people felt like the, that's where I've been longing to be because people aren't doing that. Um, you mentioned earlier multiple times about also clarity of vision. Like we, I mean, even before we started recording, Kevin, we had a big vision and it was clear. We had a big vision and it was clear. Mm-hmm. And yet you all saw something that other people didn't see. So would you mind even saying like, hey, what were some of the, the, the kind of environmental things you all noticed that maybe everyone else just didn't see that gave you the opportunity to say, yeah, we know this is the place, this is the time, this is, the, this is even the part of town. Um, just curious to hear that. Yeah, well, we chose Buckhead because it was the financial district. And when you look at startups, particularly startups in Atlanta, and of course our our ecosystem is changing, it's so different now than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the kind of challenge is funding. And so you're like, well, where's all the money in Atlanta in the financial district? So what if we intentionally chose to put a building in the middle of all this old money, and then you have startups, and now you have people in jeans walking around and you know, the cliches are true, but fun, but we have bikes and scooters and like, we want to help you get to lunch faster and in in, in a fun, playful way, because that stimulates creativity. Um, And so I think by choosing to be in Buckhead, it was this really crazy idea, but it's, it's brought tons of really strategic partnerships. It's changed the way Atlanta perceives tech and, and the startup ecosystem. And we've been able to do it with such a density that it's really outgrown what I was saying to you earlier. It's outgrown our original vision. Hmm. We were like, man, we hope we can fill this building. Like, we know we have a lot of the top talent, right? We have uh, Georgia Tech, Emory, the University of Georgia, Mercer. We have all these incredible schools, Morehouse, Spelman. And before we this ecosystem grew, it was like, oh, in order to do this, I have to leave Atlanta. And that's not true. We're like, why do we want all of our best talent to be leaving our city? Um, and so it was really, and, and that wasn't true, but by putting it in a very visual place, all of a sudden it's really easier to see. And we have strategic partnerships with these schools and we can say, hey, bring your students here, bring your elementary kids here, bring your high school students here. We, we do a lot with partner schools and nonprofits and it's like, show them what work and, and startup life and entrepreneurial life can look like. And all of a sudden it becomes, instead of this vague idea, like a reality of, mm-hmm. man, I could do this. I could start a company here and be successful and do it in a community that attracts really good people. So good. That's awesome. 
Now, Karen, one of the many wonderful things we've heard about you is that you are not afraid of the bold ask. And so <laughs> talk to us about that. And uh, I think that's the characteristic of, of, especially in the early days, if you're going to do something big, you, gotta, you can't be afraid of asking big. So tell us uh, how you learned that and how you practice that. Yeah, I, I, I like that um, I'm known for that. I, I didn't fully realize that, but it's, it, I mean, if you don't ask, you're not going to receive Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a good rule of thumb mm-hmm. in life, right? Yeah. And we've heard of that before. That. <laughs> Should be a little familiar. Um, I run a community that has over 300 founders, right? And I hear pitches all day long, every day. We look at business plans, um, and often what happens is an entrepreneur will sit down across from me, and they will give a pitch, and they will talk about things going on. And then we get to the end of the meeting and they've, you know, we're like, hey, that was 30 minutes, even an hour. And they don't ask me for what they want. Hmm. And it's always amazing when I have to say, great, what can I do to help you? What is your ask? And if they can't articulate that ask, then it was a complete waste of time. Hmm. I'm happy to listen, right? I can listen all day long. I can be supportive, right? Sometimes everyone just needs a listening ear. But if you are creating strategic meetings, times, whether it's through customer discovery, whether it's funding, um, business partnerships, you have to have an ask. And And if you're not bold enough to put it out there and articulate it, then I really think it will hinder your success. And it's not hard. You can do it in a kind way. Um, but you can't, right? You can't assume. You can't assume people know. You can't assume they're going to spell it out for you. You just simply say, hey, here, here's where I would love your help. Or do you know anybody who is in this area? Or you know, whether it's an introduction, whether it's, it's money, whatever it is, you have to ask. I, I have a follow up with that. And we, we have a lot of female launchers who listen to this podcast. And I think we work really hard to have a diverse group of guests. But I think culturally speaking, right, for a lot of women, they might say, well, my boldness can be can be misinterpreted. And, I have so many ideas. And I feel like I have to ask you because I think when someone is applauding you for your boldness, mm-hmm. that means somewhere you've not only had the courage, but you've also honed a skill about how to present what you what you need, especially when you are an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. And you're the first team member in an industry and in a culture. There's a bunch of news on you. Like, you know, I'm the first this, the first that, the only, you know, leader here, something. So I would love to hear, like, how did you go about that when it was something, like said, was there, to Jeff's point earlier, was there something that unlocked that in you? And then how you refined that, especially, I think, as a female in our culture, and to do that at this level, I think that's just, exciting. I love for other people who are listening to get some advice from you about that. Yeah. Um, first, if you're a female entrepreneur, thank you. Keep, keep up the good work. It's so important. We are, especially in tech, you know, female founders are less than 10%. Wow. Um, I've heard numbers as low as 5%. And if you even look at who's creating the technology that we use today, right, you have 50% of the users of technology are female, right? You look at your consumer base, gender generally divided half and half. Yeah, only 5% of that technology is being created by women. And that leaves tons of problems for perspective, bias. There's all sorts of issues. And then if you look at race, you know, you're looking at this African-American female population that is even less represented. And I'm really passionate about changing that. And, and, it, and it is more difficult, I think, 
you should never use your gender as an excuse. Absolutely. But at the same time, uh, I think there's a reality to sometimes women have to work harder to earn the same things that, that a man does. And as a woman, I have not achieved complete success in this, but I think generally speaking, when we are stressed or trying to you know, assert our authority, we kind of go two different ways. We go either really apologetic or we go very domineering. And I can't tell you how many times, and I've done it myself, we're like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I just thought I'd wanted to give you this idea or sorry if I wasn't more clear. So women apologize constantly for things that do not need apologizing. So that's what I mean for mm -hmm. apologetic. Mm -hmm. Or the other option is domineering where we try to be too aggressive or assertive. And it's like, you know, that's when the B word, mm -hmm. right? It starts to get thrown out and it's like, oh, that was, that was too strong. She's too opinionated. Mm -hmm. um, and I've definitely done both of those things. And I think the best advice I have for women especially in technology, is to actively choose neither of those options. Don't choose to be apologetic. Don't choose to be domineering. Instead, you have to intentionally take a breath and think, how can I be quietly confident and assertive in who I am and what I have to offer? Because there's so much power in that. And like I feel you know, that we are all created to offer something unique to this world. And I have no doubts in that. So it is, it is what is your special thing that you have to offer to the world? What, have, what are you created to do? And then just have confidence in that and know that if you state it confidently and you believe and also remain teachable, right? That's the other part is you don't want to be arrogant. You have to remain teachable. Then all of a sudden, people are hearing you and, and you're not being put into those two categories. And I think with time, people will respect the words that you say and what you have to offer. And they'll brag about you being bold when you're not around. <laughs> you know, and, and people, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's so helpful. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I mean, people I work with, like both of these guys, uh, both David, Shane, Jeff, they all have very amazing female leaders on their team. And and I have and I work with a team that's predominantly female, and they're amazing leaders as well. I love that. Thank you for having women on your leadership team. Oh, oh yeah, team. well, thank. Well, I mean, they deserve to be there. So I mean, so yeah. I, I want to make sure that's very clear. I, I I just, but I think it's just one of those things where I don't know how to teach someone what they what I get out of the team. I get to the privilege mm -hmm. of leading. Like they came with that. Those are their parents. That's their upbringing. That's their hard work. I don't want to take any credit for that. But I think that is something you choose, sure. right? And the, the more you read and the more you educate and the more you look for, you hear about mentorship, right? A mm -hmm. lot. And um, I have a lot of women uh, that, I, that I do meet with who are younger, um, who are looking for direction. But I and there's often that question of like, well, I don't have that person. Like, how do I find a mentor? How do I find a strong, a strong woman or a strong example? Um, you know, I've been in the professional world for well over 20 years at this point, and, and I've actually never had a female boss. Wow. Um, and so th there is a problem when you look at, you know, what do we emulate? What, what do women, especially in tech, have to really see? Like, are there, are there really successful women out there? Um, 
So that's kind of twofold is that number one, to find those mentors or people, just remember that you don't have to sit down with them one-on-one. Right. <laughs> you can read a blog, mm-hmm. you can listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. um, you can follow them on social media, but there are so many opportunities that I've had that I'm just listening and learning and then I'm tucking away those little nuggets to learn from and to apply to my life. And mm-hmm. there are people that I can name that have no idea that I would consider them a mentor and maybe we haven't even met, but I've been learning from them for a long time. So, yeah. That was incredible. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, thank you so much for being true, told, told vulnerable in that moment. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, we're not going to edit that out of the okay. podcast. I, 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 I want you to feel like you, I mean, I, you feel, yeah, but that's, that's, that was amazing. Thank you. Now, Karen, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your life before here. So you launched uh, a nonprofit. So I'm, I'm sure you learned uh, about that and, and raising money and all that. So tell us more about your launching experience outside of uh, Atlanta Tech Village. I've had a kind of interesting professional journey and the way I make sense of it is, are you guys familiar with Sheryl Sandberg? Yes, absolutely. So Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of a little company called Facebook (laughs) and uh, she's written books and she's um, a really great speaker and some people find her a little polarizing, uh, but I I feel like she has a, a lot to offer. And one of the things that she said about kind of career trajectories is that our professional lives used to look like ladders, right? You get on the ladder, you're on the bottom rung, and you go up a rung, up a rung, and if you're lucky, 20 years later, you're gonna work your way up this ladder, the corporate ladder, if you will, and and maybe one day you can retire. And while that's true for some industries, generally speaking, especially for entrepreneurs and especially for millennials, uh, the ladder is out and the jungle gym is in. And so on a jungle gym, you're going up and down and left and right and all around. And really what you're doing is that looks interesting. I'm passionate about that. I want to try it. I want to see what I can do. And then you do that until you see the next thing and you kind of explore those opportunities. So my life is a jungle gym. I actually <laughs> highly recommend it, uh, but it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, and so I, I have tried a bunch of different things. Um, I do have a master's degree as a marriage and family therapist. Wow. Um, I have started a nonprofit. So I ran a nonprofit for about seven years uh, in Rwanda, working with coffee growing communities. Um, and I've done industrial psychology and business consulting. And kind of out of those, I'm a really big uh, fan of relationships because everyone's like, well, how do you get from one to the other? I'm like, you know what? All you have to do is do your work really, really well and with integrity and build relationships with the people around you. And that is going to be what opens doors. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my path was doing my best work treating people the best I could. And then when a door opened, I was like, all right, God, let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after my nonprofit world, I had created a sustainable company um, and had achieved a lot of really cool things. We built a primary school in Rwanda in partnership with the government. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I feel like I've done everything I can do here. What is something else that I can learn? Because I really enjoy learning and being an expert of whatever it is that I'm doing in the moment. Um, and if anyone knows nonprofits, they are horrible as a general rule. So forgive me if this is not you, but as a horrible rule, we're really bad at technology. Um, but at the time, one of our largest donors actually had a relationship with a man named David Cummings and, um, he had a marketing automation company called Pardot 
And I was like, huh. So I looked at, I looked it up and uh, he had offered to make a connection. And when I learned about David, I was like, you know, this is somebody who I believe has the integrity and the character and kind of the values of somebody that I would like to work for. Hmm. And I think that's another problem that people, I'm gonna digress a little bit, but people get really stuck. They feel stuck in careers or especially as a, as a woman in tech, if, if you're not appreciated, if you're experiencing bias or harassment, you feel stuck. And I'm always like, you know what? Life is way too short. You have the power and the choice to go work for somebody in a place that appreciates you and what you have to offer. And um, that's a little free nugget over there. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, this is, you know, I want to do this. I didn't know about marketing automation. And, and I went through an interview with Pardon at the time. Um, it was like a six interview process. Um, it was harder to get into Pardot at the time than it was, I think, Harvard. Mm. And I never would have gone into Harvard, let's be real. Um, but I went through that and I remember getting to the final interview and sitting sitting down with David Cummings. And um, are you guys Jim Collins fans at all? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, good to great, mm -hmm. right? And at the time I was like, you know what? I want to be on the bus. I want to be on the Pardot bus. You, you're aware I'm, I'm a community builder. I'm a relationship builder. Here's all the gifts. I don't really know what seat on this bus it is quite yet but I want to be on this bus and let's figure out where the seat is best that I can serve you and your company. Um, so he ended up creating a position for me at Pardot and I was there for three months until he sold the company. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I just made this huge life change. And this guy just made a ton of money and um, we actually, uh, they made the announcement. I was the 100th employee, so part I was larger at that time. They made the announcement and uh, they had planned where they were like, hey, we were acquired. Like, this is really exciting, even though everyone always freaks out a little bit. And they put us all in limos to go to, to, go to a party. So they, were, they turned it into a celebration. And I got in the limo, and I don't know how New Girl ended up in the limo with David, uh, but I did. <laughs> and I just remember looking at him, and I was like, you know, the one thing that I was really looking forward to was working with you and learning from you. Long story short is uh, about three... Mm, Maybe three to six weeks later, um, he tapped me and he actually had to get permission through the acquisition to actually get me from Pardock. Usually, you know, there's a non-compete clause. There's uh, the bold ask. There's yeah. the bold yeah. ask. Yep. Yep. It is Absolutely. the bold ask. And, and, and he tagged me to come over to Atlanta Tech Village and, and he was like, hey, here's this really ugly building. Here's what I want to do. What do you think? And I was like, I'm in. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not an expert in this, but we're going to figure it out and I want to be a part of it. Well, you asked a different question that when, when there's a career transition, career season, many of us ask, what do I do? Mm -hmm. You ask, what do I learn now? That's a different question. Mm -hmm. And since you had a learning mindset and then you asked that question to David in the limo, mm -hmm. I was looking forward to learning from you. That's just a, it's a different mindset. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, and, and you also are so focused on the who. I mean, so I'm just trying to make sure I extract lessons for everybody that I'm getting as I'm listening to you talk. And like the who question is so powerful. Um, say, yeah, well, who do I, who, who do I want to be working with? Who do I be working for? Um, I, it's funny that, I mean, I just did not make the connection. So my first legit marketing job was me actually working for an email marketing company in, in Nashville called Emma. Uh, they just got, they just yeah. got acquired. Yep. And um, right when I was there, I was on the sales team moving to the marketing team. And they said, Kevin, we think, we think you're really good at thinking through uh, 
the I'll say the science of marketing, would you be interested in t- leading up our marketing automation stuff? We've never done before. You're going to be leading Pardot. And so my first my first experience with automation completely was with Pardot, with the whole process, and then um, some things changed around. But but it was it was one of those things where it's just really cool to kind of see the behind the scenes. Hey, that 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 team and what we felt even as customers was from a leader who you clearly obviously have, have are still working with today and uh, the value of that. And it just, just goes to show really about also just for all the owners out there that when you are a great leader and when you focus on that, even at the very beginning, whatever you're starting, your customers feel that too. Because to look up and say, you know, eight, nine, 10 years later, I'm, I'm with a person who works closely with that person and says, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, what you were feeling on the, on the client end, is all the way up and down to the organization. So that's really cool. So I just love the full circle nature of how that works. Um, I think one of the other questions I just had was when it goes, just going back to vision, because I, I think that a lot of launchers just might still be in that phase of documenting the vision and really maybe still it's all in their head. You mentioned values. Were there any other core documents that you all had early on that gave you and the rest of the team the track to run on and really feel like you could be an extension of David in that way. Because um, I think that launchers, like, we, we want to build it or they want to talk about it, but they may not be slowing down to write down the necessary pieces that would allow people who work with them. You have to write it down. You know, you have to write it down. And I think, and it's, it get, people can make it really complicated, right? Oh, what are my values and what do I want to, don't worry so much about that. But think about what are the day-to-day, intera- like what values are already guiding your day-to-day interactions, right? If you, especially if you're the founder, you already know. How are you making decisions? Um, what choices and kind of values are influencing what business partners you want, what customers you want, how ethically you're making decisions. And then with culture, you have to remember that there's not actually a, a right or wrong culture. You can have a really cutthroat, really hard culture, but if that is authentic to you and how you're doing that, there are a lot of software companies that are highly successful. Um, but it, but if you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't. That sounds scary. I don't want to work in that kind of environment. Then you pick a culture that that really um, represents you and what you want to do. But you have to write it down, and it has to be authentic to you as a founder and how you're already living living out and making those choices. Because if it's not authentic and you're like, hey, these are aspirational, and I would love the people who I hire to do these things, but you're not able to live it out, hmm. it's not a good match. Um, and there are already so many things that we can't control, right? We can't control the government. I'm sure a lot of us wish we could right now. <laughs> um, but we can't uh, control the economy. Like, and so many things are just out of our element and out of our control. But you can control, you know, the choice you have and the people you work with day in and day out. And I always kind of say culture is kind of like a ship, right? And it doesn't matter what the ship's made out of. It doesn't really matter what direction you're choosing to go. But as a captain, you have to make sure that everyone knows what direction they're supposed to be steering. So if they're you know, paddling and going all in the same way, that's, that's those core values are really kind of providing that. It's like your one kind of distinguishable thing that can set you apart from your competition can be your culture. Um, so writing it down is just, just the beginning. Now, it's been a meteoric rise in these five years, but what about the next five years? And I don't even know if that's a good question. I don't know if I believe in the five-year plan, but what's the future vision for the village here? Yeah, we are we are passionate about having one-page strategic plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something we require as our startups kind of grow and get more funding. 
Um, and so we have one of those, and it looks like having your one year, three year, and five year. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing to remember is that if you're projecting that far out, you're not tied to it. It just gives you an idea of where you want to go. And then also if you're going down and looking, Hey, where did I say I was going to go and where am I right now? And and why is it so different? Like what went wrong or what did I actively choose to do? So that should be something that you, you revisit quarterly, um, or in startup world, monthly. Uh, let's be real. <laughs> We're all about sprints around here, you know, two, two weeks at a time, maximum. But as far as Atlanta Tech Village goes, you know, it, th- this ended up being a $30 million investment by David, um, purchasing the building. And uh, a lot of people are like, oh, is this, this is a real estate play. And it's not. We are for profit. It is a double bottom line business. Um, but there are a lot of things David could have done with $30 million that would have made a much greater return. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's, it is about giving back to the community. It's just a highly expensive kind of thing to run. Um, and so, you know, originally when we first did it, we immediately started getting asked of like, well, where's your next location? I've got this great building, you guys should do one here, and I've got this building over here, and um, of course, every kind of suburb wants their own innovation center as well, mm-hmm. um, and, and we often, you know, if anyone out there, come on, we do tours, and we just say, here's everything we learned, like, we are open book, we'll, we'll tell you what we recommend not doing, <laughs> as well as what worked for us, but... Um, you know, so for a long time, it was a one and done. Um, I think now, just kind of as the whole landscape has changed, um, and as David continues to have uh, some really good successes with uh, startups that he's invested in, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if uh, we uh, have another location in the future. I think it'd be really exciting to continue to grow our vision and, and our community. Well, it's fascinating. It's it's a phenomenal space. I've been here once. I've been in this room over here. I, I spoke at a conference. Center? Yeah, it was amazing. But I never had gotten the tour until today. So, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we host over five hundred events a year, wow. um, and so wow. you know, there's stuff happening all the time, late night, early mornings, multiple locations, um, and it's again a hundred three thousand square foot building. Uh, you know, but we have fun things like we do gym. We have a gym, and we do boot camp and yoga, and we have I'm, free I'm snacks, and it, you know, and a really cool rooftop. But that I think people who are not in this community are like, "Hey, that work hard, play hard mentality." Well, you guys, you know, I, I saw the kegs. You guys play really hard. Um, but the reality is, is that those things aren't abused. It's more about creating a place where people want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we are open 24 seven. If you're an entrepreneur, you know that there are not traditional hours. No one here works a 40 hour work week. You work all the time. You know, it's a true life work blend, not mm-hmm. a life work balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our goal is to be able to create a community where number one, people want to be, but where it also actively helps you recruit the best talent because people can see these things and say, I want to be a part of that. That's awesome. Well, Karen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, yeah, you guys are great. I, I mean, I really I mean, I can't me. say enough. I think there's there's so much in this podcast um, for, for launchers in every stage. And um, I really do encourage you, if you are in the tech space, I encourage you to, especially if you're in the, the, the Atlanta or Georgia area, to really consider connecting with Atlanta Tech Village. Um, and obviously following Karen, I think, I think there's, there's to her point, I mean, you can be mentored by her from afar. And I, and I think this podcast, I know validated that for me as well. It's kind of reminded me that there's so much to learn, especially from 
a an entrepreneur, Kobe. You obviously you led on your own, but I think that like it, it takes a special kind of person to recognize and say, "Hey, I'm I'm first of all open to being led, but I can step in and I can be that that bearer for the vision and really move things forward and say." Throw me an uncertainty, throw me in a, in a totally thing. We're going to figure this thing out and I will come alongside and help you build this. And if you're that kind of person and you recognize that, first of all, a research study came out like there's only, I think there's like one integrator kind of entrepreneur for every two or three kind of like over the top leader visionaries. And so people like Karen do not grow on trees. And so I don't want to even in any way kind of uh, act like, oh yeah, but, but if you are that person, you can't connect with people like that enough. You need that kind of opportunity. And so thank you for your time. Yeah. And how can we stay in touch with you? Uh, you can email me. It's Karen at atlantatechfellows.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. And my handle is at KC underscore Houghton. Perfect. Karen, thanks. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.